Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. We've been preaching through the book of Romans, and we've been going through verse by verse, and of course I've told you that I personally believe if you compare the whole Bible to, say, a mountain range, I would say that Romans is the Himalayan mountains, and that Romans chapter 8 would be our Mount Everest, if you will. Because it towers over all the rest of Scripture, in my personal opinion. And the book of Romans gives us the key to living the victorious Christian life. And if you need something to jumpstart your level of excitability, as I can see already this morning, you want to jumpstart your excitability about the Lord... I challenge you to read Romans 8 every morning for about a month. For about a month, and you will be amazed at what will happen to your own Christian walk. Now, one of the concerns we all have is we want to always do the right thing. Am I right? We always want to do the right thing. And I've told you before, one of... um, I used this analogy before several years back. But you know the president, Calvin Coolidge, or some would call Silent Cal. Well, there's a story about him. And there was an occasion one night at the White House dinner, and Calvin Coolidge was at the head of the table, as the president should be. And on either side of the table, there were about a dozen dignitaries, and everything was going pretty much as it was supposed to until they served coffee at the end of the meal. And Calvin Coolidge committed a terrible breach of social etiquette. He poured his coffee into a saucer and began to blow on it. He even added a little cream and sugar. And everyone at the table was aghast because that was something that was very uncouth then. Something very uncouth. And But because the president was doing it, every single one of them poured their coffee into their saucers and began to blow on it. Now, you can imagine their consternation when suddenly he bent over, put it on the floor for his cat. (laughs) Big oops. We always try to do the right thing. We always try to do the right thing. And one way to do it is to try and look at Jesus and ask the question, and we've heard this a million times before, it was very much a credo, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And whatever you think Jesus would do, try and imitate that. Imitate Christ. And that's one way, but that can get pretty frustrating, right? Because we don't always know what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? And we can't always do what Jesus did. It's impossible for us. But there's, there is a better way. There is a better way. And that is to surrender to the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit of Christ who lives inside of us through and by the Holy Spirit. And that is what today's passage is all about. Now, I want to talk to you today about how your mindset 
determines your lifestyle. How your mindset determines your lifestyle. Because the two key concepts in this passage are your mind and then the Spirit of Christ. Begin reading in chapter 8, or yes, chapter 8, verse 5 in Romans. It says this, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And because the sinful mind is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But in verse 9, he's talking directly to the Christians. Right there in Rome. He's he's speaking directly to the Christians in Rome here. And so he's talking directly to us when he says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ in them, he does not belong to Christ. But if... And this phrase could be translated since. But since Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive. Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if or since... The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies. I'm sorry, mortal bodies. And through his spirit who lives in you. Now, like I said, we want to talk about the mindset of sin, deadly lifestyle. Pay attention to this. Now, a different mindset can determine your entire lifestyle or your entire destiny. Let me say that again. A different mindset can determine your entire lifestyle or your entire destiny. Paul is contrasting between a mindset of sin and a mindset on following the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to take a little time And think about what a mind set on sin looks like. It's not hard because we live there constantly. We live there constantly. It produces what we call a deadly lifestyle. And it's not a lifestyle at all. Understand that. It's not a lifestyle at all, really. It's a death style. Paul is writing about that in verses 5 through 8. And let's notice three things about these kinds of people he's talking about. He's talking about these things. And these are the people we would call unbelievers or non-Christians. But first of all, those people, and notice he says those people in the third person. Those people can't please God. Those people can't please God. And that's what Paul says in verse 8. He says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. 
I call this frustration without faith. Frustration without faith. And surveys tell us that most people in America believe in God. That's what the survey tells us. That most people believe in God. But most people in America really want to try and please God. That's our goal. We want to please God. But if they don't have faith, it is just a constant frustrating experience. If they don't have faith, it's very, very frustrating. Because most people think the way you please God is by ceasing to do wrong things. Well, if I don't do the wrong things, then I must be doing things that are pleasing to God. But stopping the sinful faults that we all have, in other words, cleaning up our act, or getting it all together, that's what we view it as. If we stop doing the wrong things, maybe that's what's going to please God. And the thing we learn in the book of Romans is that we don't have the power to do that. That is our goal, but we don't have the power to do it. So I want you to think about your sin, your failures, and your mistakes, like some of the dead leaves falling off the trees. You can't help but drive through different places in the fall and you see leaves on the ground, some more than others. Going back east during the fall is beautiful. Seeing all the leaves change colors, seeing them falling to the ground, littering the roads and making them look like streets of gold and and different things. It's beautiful. But I want you to imagine your sin like those leaves falling on the ground. And some of you know that when these leaves fall, there's something that needs to be done. They need to be raked, right? They need to be cleaned off the streets and on the yards. And some of you have already started doing those kinds of things. But somebody who knows a lot more about trees than I do told me that one time dead leaves did not fall off trees. Did you know that? There were times that dead leaves did not fall off the trees. They get pushed off. This person said, if you don't believe that, take a branch off a tree one that's been cut or cracked off. And when it falls to the ground, the leaves are still attached. The leaves are still attached. And those leaves won't ever separate from that branch. They'll just hang on there through summertime and through the following year. The thing that makes leaves fall is the life inside of that tree. It's the life inside of that tree. And as the point of the branch that holds the old leaf on is getting ready to produce life in the spring, it hardens and closes and literally pushes off the old dead leaves. So, what does that mean really? Well, those people, and I quote, those, like Paul said here, those people cannot please God. In other words, frustration without faith. And there's a great lesson in that. We spend a lot of our lives trying to push off a lot of things in our lives that we shouldn't have. To get rid of those bad thoughts, to uh, get rid of those bad deeds or bad habits. And the easiest way is to allow the life of Jesus in us to push them away. To replace those bad, dead leaves with the new life of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't understand that great truth, you're going to walk around frustrated most of your life. Look at what it says in Romans eleven six. You don't need to turn there. It says this is a foundational verse about faith, and it's 
about pleasing God. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, Paul is writing this and he's basically saying, listen. He's saying, those people who are minding sin can't please God because they don't have faith. So we want to please God. How do we do it? We have faith. Here's the second thing he says about these kinds of people. Those people don't know God. In other words, profession without possession. Profession without possession. Look back at the second part of verse 9 where it says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now, whether or not you like it, there are only two kinds of people on this earth. There are only two people on this earth. Those who belong to Christ and those who do not belong to Christ. Now, how can you um, distinguish one group from the other? There it is in verse 9 where it says, If a person does not possess the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. Did you know that there are a multitude of people who would profess they are Christians, but you can profess you are a Christian, right, and not possess Christ? There are a lot of professions, but there's not a lot of possessions. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? Not only is it possible, but it's quite probable. To me, some of the scariest words Jesus Christ ever uttered are in Matthew 7, verse 21, where he says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It's been said many times that it's not religion that saves a person. It's not religion that saves a person. You can profess all day long that you're a Christian and a believer. And you can also say that you're a follower of God. But if you don't possess the life of God in you, then you don't have the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you don't belong to Christ, period. You either do or you don't. So Paul takes takes this on, and he talks about people who have frustration without faith, who have profession without possession. And then he says something about those people. He says something about those people. And those people don't submit to God. They don't submit to God. They live without life. They live without life. Now, I say these people are living without life. And in fact, in verse 6, it says... The mind of sinful man is death. And then in verse 7 it says the mind is hostile to God and it cannot submit to God's laws. Now you may ask, how can a person live without life? How can you live without life? Well, you have to understand in the New Testament there are two different words for life. You see, in English we just have one word for life, but the Greek language in which the New Testament is written... There is a word for life, and it is bios. 
Bios. Now, do you kind of recognize that word just a little bit? Bios? Sound something familiar? It speaks of biology or something biological from it. It speaks about our physical life. It speaks about our physical life. But in the New Testament, there's another word that is life, and the word is zoe. Zoe. And this is the word used most often to speak about the quality of life. In other words, about our spiritual life. For instance, in John 10.10, when Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. He wasn't talking about biology here. He was talking about when he said, I have come that you might have a quality of life. And you might enjoy it to the fullest. Like I said last week, our goal is not to get to heaven. Because we can experience heaven even in this life. We need to look at the now. Look at the now. We can experience these wonderful things if we allow God to fulfill it in our lives. If we are in Christ, therefore we have the Spirit. And to have the Spirit is to be righteous. And we can live a life of righteousness. We can enjoy life. We can have joy in our life. But it's our choice. A lot of us choose not to experience that joy in our lives. And there's many reasons why we don't. We have lots of excuses. Well, I lost my job. There's no joy in that. There's some other turmoil in my life. How am I supposed to experience joy when that is happening? Because we praise God for the good. We praise God for the frustrating. We praise God for the the things that we don't understand. We allow the Spirit to carry us through. He says, I have come that you might have life. And a lot of people who have that word bios or the biology, but do not have the real zoe, the spiritual life, then they're not experiencing the promise that Jesus gave us. They're not experiencing that promise. In fact, one of the most fascinating versions of all the Bible, or sections of the Bible, is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. And this is where the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy about a certain woman who is living only for pleasure, and he makes this observation. He says, but she, and this could be true of he as well, who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And by the way, do you know anyone who may look like they're living, but they're dead? And I don't mean the people right here now who have their eyes closed falling asleep. (laughs) Aha, gotcha. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about living without life. Years ago, I heard a story, and supposedly it was true, about a Texas millionaire who died. And he was such a selfish, lonely kind of guy, he didn't want to leave anything behind, so he left very specific orders that when he died, he was to be buried in his Cadillac. And a lot of his possessions and cash and everything was to be put in that Cadillac with him. So here he was, 
They had to dig a huge hole and had to lift up this Cadillac with the crane with him embalmed, sitting behind the wheel with all of his possessions in that car. And you could look through the windows and you could see all that cash piled up. And as they were lowering his Cadillac into the ground, one fellow turned to the other and he said, man, that's really living, isn't it? That's really living. But that's the problem. That's what some people think. That's really living. But we know that's nothing but death. That's nothing but death. And there are a lot of people who are living but who don't really have life. There's a lot of people living, but they don't have life. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And I'm here to tell you that life doesn't begin at 40. It's too bad because I'm already there. I'd like to start anew. But it doesn't begin at 40. Life begins with Jesus Christ. Life begins with Jesus Christ. And whatever age you may be, when you meet him, that's when the zoe, or life, really begins. So first of all, Paul speaks about that kind of mindset. But secondly, we need to talk about the correct mindset that produces that correct lifestyle. The mindset on the spirit lifestyle of peace. How do we experience peace on earth? To have and know Christ. And he talks about this mindset of the Spirit and how it produces that lifestyle of peace. Look again at verse 6. The second half of verse 6 where he says, The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, doesn't that sound pretty attractive to you? Is there anyone who really doesn't want to live a life of tranquility, of security, Serenity, peace with God, and with the peace of God? The only way we can do that is to have our minds set on the Spirit. We must have our minds set on the Spirit. And the kind of mindset produces that right kind of lifestyle. So let's look at the lifestyles of the redeemed and the faithful not the lifestyles of the rich and famous. The lifestyles of the redeemed and the faithful because this is what we're talking about. If you're full of the Spirit, you are faithful. You are redeemed. And if you have a different kind of lifestyle, you have a lifestyle that basically forms around the Spirit. And Paul is going to say three things about the Holy Spirit's relationship to a Christian here. Please understand again, Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. And in the first seven chapters of Romans, he only mentions the Spirit twice. So, in Romans chapter 8, he's going to mention the Holy Spirit 21 times, as I mentioned last week. The Holy Spirit has different titles. Did you know that? Holy Spirit has different titles. He's called the Spirit. He's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, the spirit of promise, the spirit of glory, the eternal spirit. And he's also called the comforter. He's called the comforter or the counselor. And this word is um, 
basically to be called one alongside one another, which is what Jesus used when he's talking about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. This is how he spoke to his disciples. So let's notice the three ways that the Holy Spirit relates to us as Christians. In verse 9, he says, we are indwelt by the Spirit. And four times in this passage, we says, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Spirit lives in you. The Spirit lives in you. And when you become a Christian, the very Spirit of God indwells within you. And what do I mean by you? He's talking about believers. He's talking about believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 17, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. This is when he was alive on planet Earth, living in his human body. And he says this, he says, Now the Spirit of truth is coming. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives. And notice the prepositions here. With you, and he will be in you. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me, and again, notice the prepositions, and I am in you. Now let me tell you something kind of fascinating that I've learned. When Jesus was alive in the human body for 33 years, he couldn't be at one place at any one time. For instance, when he was in Galilee with his disciples... He couldn't be in Jerusalem. Would you agree with that? He could only be in one place at one time. He says, now I am with you, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be in you. Or basically, literally, I will be in you. There's some significance to this. And I could go on and on and on about it. I can probably preach a month's worth of sermons on it. But we're going to move on from there. We'll unpack it a little bit later. But we become literally the dwelling place for the Spirit of God when you become a Christian. Not only does it talk here in John 14, but in another very familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, What do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God? In other words, you are not your own. You are not your own. And what that means is the building we are in right now is not the house of God. Oh, wait a minute. We're not in the house of God? Do we not say it's good to be in the house of God? So what is he saying here? He says we are right now is not the house of God. It's not the temple of God. And as a believer, a Christian, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We call this the house of God because of who gather here. Notice that. So whether we're in a building or not makes no difference. And we know this. We are the house of the Lord. And he goes on to say, you believers are also filled or controlled by the Spirit. The Bible teaches that we as believers are to be filled or controlled with the Spirit. Now, I know a lot of negative connotations go with the word controlled. But it is, is it so awful to be controlled by the Spirit? Look at verse 9 again. Paul is making an observation here. When he says, now you believers, you are not controlled by the sinful nature. So if we are not controlled by sinful nature, what are we controlled by? The Holy Spirit. 
Instead, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And it is very important, Christians, that we be filled with the Spirit. Notice there's a difference here. It says that we are to be controlled by the Spirit. But it goes on and says not only that, we are to be filled by the Spirit. You might say, now wait a minute, isn't being indwelt by the Spirit the same thing as being filled by the Spirit? And I don't think so. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Just make a note of it. It says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, my observation is that a believer is always indwelt by the Spirit, but not always filled with the Spirit. And why not, you may ask? What what does that mean when I become a Christian and the Holy Spirit indwells me? Then later on, do I get more of the Spirit of God? No. You never get more of the Spirit. But the truth is, He gets more of you. He gets more of you. Absolutely. So, you surrender more to Him. You give your allegiance and obedience to the Holy Spirit. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more of God. It's God getting more of you. To the point where you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So let's face it. Everyone in this room who is a Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But are you always controlled by the Holy Spirit? No. And that's because sometimes your mind listens to that old sinful nature. The choice is yours and the choice is mine. We can listen to that old sinful nature or we can mind the Holy Spirit and allow him to take control within us. Please look at that verse again, Ephesians 5.18. Why do you think the Apostle Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit? Think about it. Why would he say that? Why didn't he just say, don't commit adultery and be filled with the Spirit? Or why didn't he say, don't steal, but be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's the point. Why didn't he say, don't lie, but be filled with the Spirit? Because when he said, don't be drunk with wine, he was making both a contrast and a comparison. And I'm sure you know someone who's been drunk at some time and another and What that means is that person is under the influence. That's the term we've given it, under the influence. Now, in California, in every state, it is a crime to drive an automobile when you are under the influence and under the control of alcohol because most of us realize that when a person is under the influence of alcohol or controlled by alcohol, they act differently. They act differently. They don't use the same judgment They are emboldened to do things they wouldn't never ordinarily do, like put a lampshade on their head. Something to that degree, right? Well, the Bible says being filled with the Holy Spirit is somewhat like being drunk with wine, in that you are under the influence of the Spirit of God. But it doesn't make you do bad things. It doesn't make you do bad things. It makes you do good things. It gives you a spiritual boldness. It empowers you. 
So it is both a contrast and a comparison. Now you may ask why I'm telling you that Christians are always indwelt by the Spirit, but not always filled with the Spirit, and this is why. Nowhere in the New Testament are you commanded to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the New Testament are you commanded to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And do you know why? It's because of this. As a Christian, you are indwelt. But several times in the New Testament, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those times. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wouldn't command us to do something if it wasn't automatically happening. It's something we have to do. So that's why there is a comparison here. So when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and that's when the life of Christ is being represented in you. That's when the personality of Jesus Christ is flowing through you. That's when the fruit of the Spirit is exhibited in your life love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. It's exhibited in all these things. You are surrendered to the Spirit. So let me share with you that the key to the Christian life is this. It is surrendering to the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us. Yielding to Him and allowing Him to live His life through us. So the question becomes, why aren't more Christians filled with with the Holy Spirit. One word. Unbelief. Unbelief or lack of faith. Lack of faith. There are some Christians who don't believe God, the Holy Spirit, can control them. They still think they have to do it all by themselves. And some of us like it that way. But it's not productive in the life of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're still trying to work in the flesh. And they're guilty of the sin of unbelief. And the Bible says, Be careful that there not be a hardened heart of unbelief in any of you so that you don't claim the promise. Why do we not experience things that are lovely here on earth? Because we don't believe. We don't have faith. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to indwell within us and control us. And by control, I mean your thoughts, your actions. When God presents an opportunity, you run towards it. You run towards it. You don't shy away. You don't assume someone else is going to pick up that opportunity when you don't. When we have the mindset of that lifestyle... And I don't like to use that word very often, especially when you're talking about the Christian faith. This is not a lifestyle. This is a way of life. This is a way to live with life. This also comes because of unconfessed sin. He is the Holy Spirit, which means he produces holy living, holy thoughts, holy motives, in us, and if there is unconfessed sin in our life, we won't be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you, as believers, also should know that we are renewed by the Spirit. 
So number one, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Number two, the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. Number three, the Holy Spirit wants to renew us. So believers should be renewed by the Spirit. Verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, now this is obviously future tense, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. You may ask, what is Paul talking about here? What is he saying? It's that the Holy Spirit wants to do as he dwells in us and as he fills us, he wants to renew us. He wants to change us. He wants to keep on transforming us. This is not a one and done deal. This is a constant process. I know we see, see the, the, the change word there. We don't like that word. I don't like that word. But it's necessary in the life of Christ and those who follow Christ. There needs to be change. He wants to keep us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. How does he do that? How does he do that? I think in at least two ways. First of all, there's the way we call the daily renewal. We daily die to ourselves. We daily follow the Lord's commands, which is found described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. In other words, we, we don't get discouraged. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. So what does that mean? That means that your body is growing older. We know that. It's wasting away. But we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to be afraid. Keep on reading. It says, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day by day by day. The Christian life is an exciting experience of daily allowing the Holy Spirit to renew us. For those of you who are thinking the Christian life is just getting Jesus in your heart and having your sins forgiven and that way you can go to heaven, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. The Christian life is a daily experience of renewal. What is that daily life? Now remember, in the Old Testament where God gave manna to the children of Israel, food to refresh and to nourish them. Remember, yesterday's manna was no good. It got rotten. And you couldn't save yesterday's man until the next day. So you had to go out every day and get a fresh pot of it or bowl of it, whatever it is they used to collect it. Every day you had to get it new. The same is true with your relationship to God. The same is true with your relationship to God. The problem with some is the reason you're stale and dry and cold and indifferent is you're trying to pretend and depend on manna from 10 or 20 years ago. I, be, I became a Christian 20 years ago. Not me personally, I'm just saying in, in general. I became a Christian 20 years ago, so I'm good, right? What does that mean? One and done? No, absolutely not. You haven't understood that it is a daily walk in the Spirit. And that's just one part of it, the daily renewal. Know that you have future life. There is a future renewal, and that's what verse 11 is talking about. When one day, even our mortal bodies will receive life. 
Now you might wonder what that means. What are mortal bodies? Well, it means that the body you and I live in is wasting away. It's getting old. It's deteriorating. But we have the promise of God that we don't have to worry about that. We can embrace it. We can understand that it's part of the process. It's part of the renewal process. We may not like it. We may complain about it. But this is all part of God's process. Sometimes the renewal of our minds is losing your mind. It's not fun. But God says we don't have to worry about it. We put our trust and our faith in him and he renews us day by day by day. There is future renewal for us. And then the reason we've been talking about the Holy Spirit is because I think living in the Spirit is the absolute key to the Christian life. I told you Romans 1.16 is what I think is the front door key to Romans. In other words, to get you in, to bring you in. It's God's way of bringing you in and basically knocking you down saying, how can you live this way? God already knows that answer. We already know that answer. But God says, look what you have to look forward to. Look what you could enjoy now. That's the mindset we need to have. Knowing that we can enjoy things now. You know, it could be fun to be a Christian. It can be fun to do the good things. It can be fun to live a life that the Holy Spirit controls. I know that we like to control our own lives. But the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute. That's my job. So we need to allow him to do that job through us. Romans 14, 17. If you were asked and to ask me what the front door key of the Romans, I'd say Romans 1, 16. So you can reference back to that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But the back door key to the whole book of Romans is Romans 14, where it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of the do's and the don'ts. It is but of righteousness. It is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by man. Remember what it says in Romans 8, where it says, those people who have their minds set on sin cannot please God, but those who are enjoying the righteousness, enjoying the peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, are the ones who are pleasing God. So how do we please God? We have faith. How do we please God? We enjoy the things that we do. We don't look at this as a process. It is a process. But we can live in the now. We can enjoy the things that God has blessed us with. We can enjoy the fact that the Holy Spirit is in charge. And when we understand those things, Romans 1 through 7 do not apply to us anymore, does it? Because God has said, I am with you. I will take care of this. Enjoy yourself. God's already done the hard part. 
We can have fun with this. We can have fun with this. Not too much fun. Not too much fun. Most of you probably do or maybe not know that I'm I'm a pretty big football fan. But one of my favorite coaches... Is all has already been retired. You may have heard of him, maybe you haven't, but have you heard of Lou Little? He was a coach at Columbia University and at Georgetown University, and he had a player who was a walk-on, basically someone who did not have was not on scholarship, but they came on and they they agreed to let him play on the team. But he was undersized, and he and the coach got along really well. And the coach had such an affection for this young man that he let him play several plays on defense. And although he wasn't a starter and would never earn a scholarship, that coach would often see this player arm in arm with his dad walking around campus. And he admired him because of the good relationship that he did have with his father. And one day, Coach Little's phone rang and he was told that the player's father had passed away. And he had the unpleasant job of telling that player his father was gone. And so he told the player and said, Son, take all the time you need. Go home. Don't worry about coming to the game this Saturday. You need to be with your family. But to the coach's surprise, the next Saturday, the player was there and he was dressed out. And as Georgetown was getting ready to play Fordham University, the player said to Coach Little, he said, Coach... I know this is a strange request, but would you let me start today? The coach said, son, I know you've been through such a tragedy. Your father died, and I know you have a lot of heart, but this is an important game for us. I can't play you but a couple of plays, but just because of where you are at in your life, yes, I'll start you today. And so that player went into the game as linebacker. And this undersized walk-on became a player that covered the whole field and made bone-crunching tackles and was the key to the defense. And Coach Little never took him out of that game. He played an unbelievable game, a game like Coach Little had never seen before. And Georgetown won largely because of the play of that player. And after the game, Coach Little went up to that player and said, Son, I cannot believe this. He says, what a difference there was about you today. What was it? I never understood that you could play half as good as that. And the player said, coach, not many people knew, but my father was blind. And for all of my football career, he had never seen me play one game. But today, he got to see me play, and I just wanted to please him. And that made the difference. The truth is, we have a heavenly father. We have a Heavenly Father, and the reason we want to live a holy life is because (laughs) it's good for us. So that people will look to us and say, what's different about you? The reason we want to live a holy life full of the Spirit is to please our Father in heaven. Amen? Let us pray. Actually, Dave, come on up. And lead us in the song of benediction, please. If it is your desire to know Christ, to know what he's done for you, and to understand what it is to live a life of faith, I pray today you don't leave before talking to one of us. 
Dave, myself, the deacons, they'll make themselves known. But if it is your desire today to find out what a life full of the Spirit really looks like, come and talk to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, let me put a disclaimer on that. We don't always do that. We're not perfect. But when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, He allows that to be a possibility. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Amen. Dave. And from our hearts, let's just sing the doxology this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings Heavenly Father, thank you for our opportunity to be here today, to have a place where we could come and worship you freely. And Lord, as we leave these doors today, I pray that we open our eyes to the opportunities that will be set before us, Lord. We want to please you. We want to see the work in our lives through you. And we want others to see it as well. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us to this church and to the future things that are to come. Lord, if we just live a life of faith, that's enough to please you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you sent your son to die for us so that we, in turn, could live a life with you forever. Thank you so much, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord, everyone. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.